0: Hey everyone, this is Corey, host of Call Log, a podcast for millennials about work, life, relationships, and politics. The episode that you are about to hear was recorded on Monday, March 30th, about the time that national and state responses to the novel coronavirus were ramping up and the shelter-at-home orders were proliferating nationally. I wanted to take this time to address a few things in the episode. At second four of the show, You hear me say that no one could have planned for this, and I want to remind everyone that yes, many epidemiologists, heads of state like President Obama, and health institutes like the World Health Organization and Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation definitely sounded the alarm, um, and remind everyone that it was Trump who disbanded the pandemic response team that President Obama had set in place, and to correct that fact for the record. Secondly, at about 3 minutes and 30 seconds into the recording, my good friend and guest, Alex, references a local news story depicting a grisly attack on an Asian American family that wasn't even Chinese by a man who broke into their house and stabbed them all, including a 2-year-old and a 6-year-old. First, I want listeners to know that neither alex nor me would be okay if the family was chinese hate crimes against asians and asian americans during this pandemic or after deserve to be prosecuted to the full extent of the law and no one deserves to be attacked ever but especially not because of their race ethnicity skin color religious beliefs or creed the third thing is another fact check a quick internet search reveals the attack that alex references occurred at a Sam's Club in Midland, Texas on March 14th and I wanted to correct that for the record and to apologize for any nervous laughter that you might hear about the topic. Alex and I are without a doubt both happy that no one in the family perished in the attack and that the assailant um, was arrested and will face federal hate crime charges. We understand that these are stressful and uncertain times. But the only way to face them is by working together, not trying to tear one another apart. That's it. Thank you for your time and enjoy Call Log, Episode 1. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, well, nobody could have prepared for, you know, what we're currently facing. Like, it's oh, absolutely not wild. Well, I mean,
1: epidemiologists and just people generally vaguely aware of epidemiology in general have been saying for years and years now, like, hey, guys, we have zero uh, viral infection infrastructure. It's not if, it's when. It's only a matter of time, but we never (laughs) created one, so here we are.
0: What's up fam? Welcome to Call Log, a podcast by millennials, for millennials, covering the topics that are most important to us, Uh, work, relationships, politics, faith, a a little bit of this, a little bit of that, a little bit of everything. I'm your host, Corey Wilson, Um, and today on The Log, I have a very special guest. It's our inaugural guest. Her name is Alex Black. Uh, She's a 20-something living in Washington State. We met at the University of Montevallo in beautiful Montevallo, Alabama. Go Falcons! And since graduating, uh, we have both lived on the East Coast, me in New York City, um, and Alex on the West Coast in Washington State, respectively, and we are going to talk. Today a bit about what everybody is talking about, which is the coronavirus. Um, so, so bear with us. Uh, like I said, this is the inaugural uh, podcast, and let's uh, let's get into. it.
1: epidemiologists and just people generally vaguely aware of epidemiology in general have been saying for years and years now like hey guys we have zero uh viral infection infrastructure it's not if it's when it's only a matter of time but we never
0: <laughs> created one so here we are yeah i mean so some of the reading that i've been doing it has basically like said the same thing um that People have been scientists, at least, have been like clamoring for a global like epidemiological response team for years, and uh, the the executives of most countries like just aren't having it. I mean, we share the international space station, you know what I'm saying? But we yeah. we, we we can't share things to rest really. I mean, the global politics right now are are wild. There's a lot of nationalism. I mean, we talk about it in the American context, but it's, like, everywhere.
1: Yeah, I mean, globally, it's, pardon my French, a shit show right now, Um, and I I think we're certainly not helping any at all. Um, Literally, right before we got on this call, I just saw, like, a local news story where uh, an Asian family that wasn't even Chinese, they're... man just, like, broke into their house and, like, stabbed them all. Like, including a two-year-old and a six-year-old. What? Yeah, like, they he, in like, the stabbed US? a baby. Yeah. Because he thought that they were Chinese.
0: So. The tone of this podcast has shifted greatly, I'm
1: <laughs> sorry. I mean, <laughs> I'm, like, in it, man. Like, I'm a fairy right away from that, where, like, it all started popping off in the U.S., and the, the nursing home where, like, 30 people died. All right.
0: You're in Washington State.
1: Where were you before? So, okay. So, I was in Alabama, and then I went to North Carolina, and then I came to Washington, and then I went to California, and then I came back to Washington, and then I went back to North Carolina, <laughs> and then I came back to Washington again. So, I've kind of been all over.
0: Over the course of how many years?
1: Since I graduated. Okay. Okay. So I moved um, I moved out here originally in 2015, like the end of 2015 and I lived here till I guess 2017 like summer fall 2017. Then I moved to Southern California fully thinking I was gonna stay there. I lasted six weeks and I hated it. <laughs> Could not have had a more miserable time. Um, and then I moved back here. For just like a few months and then i moved back to north carolina for a year um and then there was a big old hurricane don't know if you heard about it but it sucked a lot um and we lost like a lot of stuff um we were evacuated for two weeks oh wow and you know, yeah I, everything I flooded it's super not cool i remember
0: harvey i remember harvey this was florence Okay. Florence. Okay. Yeah. This yeah, was Florence. That,
1: but... Yeah. And so, um, after that we were like, Hey, guess what? North Carolina sucks. Anyway, let's go back to the West coast where we just have to deal with volcanoes and earthquakes and pandemics turns out.
0: Um, all right. Let me do like some prep work, I guess a little bit again yeah. for our listening audience. Okay. So like <clears throat> the reason that I decided to do this podcast is that I've been talking about doing a podcast for like years and years and years. And one of my favorite pastimes is like talking on the phone. Like a lot of people in our generation don't talk on the phone anymore. Um, and I feel I'm like, guilty. it creates, yeah, like they get anxious about being on the phone, but we literally spent middle school from 11 p.m. to 3 a.m like talking to our boyfriend or girlfriend (laughs) that is true (laughs) literally
1: my current boyfriend that i live with i was like he was in high school i was in middle school i knew what what time he got home from school and would call him so the phone would be ringing when he came in the door Mm -hmm. and because i got home first and we would talk until like we fell asleep at night like that is how much we used to talk on the phone
0: like we used to talk we we used to talk on the phone i mean we are a generation that like remembers pay phones and may have used yeah. them once or twice. Um, so the art of talking on the phone like has been forced back into the mainstream. Like I'm really happy about it. Um, it's one of the better ways to keep in touch with somebody because you can have like long form conversations and really yeah. check in one. And it doesn't take up as much time in people's day, I think, as they think that it does. Um, you know, sometimes I'll talk to four or five people in a day, depending. Um, and so that was one thing. The second thing, again, is that I wanted a millennial take on this because so far the takes have been coming. The takes is the news media report are all from politicians. And there was an article in The Atlantic that was like how to deal with America's gerontocracy. Like all <laughs> the politicians are old. They're all old. And most of them in the Senate definitely don't care about like the future of the nation they care about short-term profit and they've shown it over and over again and like what three senators sold stock before like the oh yeah
1: more than that they were warned two weeks before the american public was like informed we were still being told that it was a hoax
0: by the news so when i'm like when i'm maligning senators i i do it in in good faith like i'm not just out here saying like senators are shitty most of the senators are very very shitty Um, And so I wanted a millennial take on things because, like, we are the largest voting bloc in this nation, even if we're failing, like, (laughs) Bernie Sanders right now by not coming out to vote in the numbers he expected. Uh, And we also make up, like, two-thirds of the actual workforce right now. So the Mm -hmm. political decisions being made, like, affect us more than anybody. And I'm hoping that this will kind of be, like, a clarifying moment for our generation to wield their political power more um, brazenly in the upcoming cycle and future cycles. And then the last thing, like I just wanted to talk to my friends and see your beautiful faces and, you know, like reconnect. Like I know people who are like all over the globe right now um, who are actually going to be on this podcast. I got a friend in Spain, somebody that's like in France right now. Like it's wild, like where everybody is talking to you on the west coast i'm in the southeast i got friends in the shit in new york city um so i really wanted to get like a diverse uh a geographically diverse as well as you know potentially like identity diverse uh take on things um but uh before we continue alex yes how did we meet and what is your earliest memory of me?
1: Oh, um, because we're both theater losers. Uh, <laughs> um, I think did we meet at Trumbauer? Did we meet before we went to Montevallo? Because I feel like we might have.
0: Maybe in passing, but I my school. But so we did like. Oh, I didn't know up. you know you
1: yeah until we went we went to college together. We were in the same incoming class. Yes, we were uh i think where wasn't it were there like four of us that were that graduated together that were like the initial like incoming class like it was not many
0: initial class had like somewhere between what 60 and 80 people yeah it it was was huge and then of the the acting majors maybe it was half you know maybe it was 40 maybe it's 20 i don't really remember the numbers but after four years, it was—I think it was nine of us that graduated in 2014. It was you, Ashley Knowles, Mary Kate, Amber. Um,
1: but she didn't. Didn't she graduate a semester later? Or no, she graduated with us. Yeah, with us. Because that's um, the thing it's like there were some people that still graduated, but it like wasn't. they, they took I like grad- a
0: semester extra like, year. I took kind of an extra term i graduated in the summer you oh all you did oh time. okay yeah so um i'm trying to think i want to say michael hawkins and I say michael I was hawkins, a- hawkins
1: was one for sure he yeah. had a flask at graduation so i remember <laughs> it's peppermint schnapps like i distinctly remember he had a flask of peppermint schnapps during hot ass alabama graduation
0: yo A man's got his preferences, yo. All right. So we met at college. We were both in the theater department. Yes. We were were theater babies. We were. Um, And my earliest memory of you is, I don't know if it was, I think it was acting two, which means it was likely our sophomore year, or maybe it was acting one. Whenever year that Tammy made us do, like, Spoon River anthology work. That was voice one. Voice one. Okay. That was yeah. our
1: freshman year. It was second semester yeah. freshman year.
0: Okay. Yeah. I just remember you, like, and all of you people who went, because you went to Prattville, right? Mm-hmm. All of you theater kids who went to Prattville. I just remember that the kids from Prattville came to Montevallo with, like, such a mature perspective on performance, and as much as, like, you all were, like, all in on the work. Like, you all were ready. Like, you and Joe, um, Kaylee, Amber, Amber, yeah, you all came in and were, like, like, really excavating the text and trying to find the meaning, and, like, i was I was oftentimes like blown away by you all. I
1: appreciate that. We definitely um, had, I think, a very unique high school theater experience um, in both good and bad ways. I feel like there was a lot of things that we were like very like standards that we were held to that were not appropriate for what are essentially children. Mm. But at the same time, I feel like it did make me take it very seriously in a way that, like, when you read um, like Stanislavski method, like that kind of like level of dedication yeah, um, yeah. is what was kind of ex- like that attitude is what was expected of us. Mm. But we were doing like fucking once upon a mattress. So it was like the most
0: like, this weird dichotomy of like And what and is Fred's it. motivation? You've got to really <laughs> Yeah, way.
1: exactly. Um so For looking back products. on it now, I just like wanna like laugh at myself about how like I am an artist, like how seriously I took it. To get? But <laughs> at, at the same time, I do think that because of that. We did kind of have a leg up a little bit going in because a lot of the stuff was work. We were kind of already doing. We didn't really understand why we were doing it. We didn't really understand technique, but I think that attitude served us really well because we were totally will like we had been indoctrinated and were willing and ready to give our like literal blood, sweat and tears to like whatever was asked of us. Well, like well,
0: we here weren't you in like the directing scenes or somebody's James's project, the, the lesson. Well,
1: I did Kara's show sea which like to I- this day is one of my favorite shows I've ever done. Wait, were you not in the lesson, though, also? Oh, yeah, I was in lesson. You're right. I totally forgot that. Yeah, that was my first semester. You were going to see it was my second semester. That show scarred me.
0: The rape scene scarred me in the lesson.
1: Yeah, it did a lot of people (laughs) (laughs) to make an impression in college, for sure. Especially because, like, James then plastered the whole campus with pictures of me in a cheerleading costume tied up with an apple in my mouth.
0: James, he he was good at marketing. Also, he was one of the (laughs) he was one of the uh the better like speakers at the roast. Yes, agreed. (laughs)
1: That's my face. This is the coronavirus podcast, and I can't stop touching my face.
0: Um okay. So we met at college. Um my earliest memory really is like Spoon River anthology. And your earliest memory? What's your earliest memory of like meeting me?
1: I would probably say, actually, um, not even theater related. I would say it was um, our honors history class that we had. Oh, yes. Yes. I was asleep all the time. What was that dude's name? Yeah. And he could do the inverted splits, like he could, or negative splits, like where he would put his legs on the chair and he would do a split, but then he would go like, So it would be like, his legs would be like a V. Like, his pelvis would be underneath the chairs. Is this the professor? Are you saying that
0: our professor could do that?
1: Yes, he could. I've seen him do it. Like, (laughs) the Jean-Claude Van Damme. Jean-Claude Van Damme? Yes, exactly. (laughs) And he would, like, meditate for an hour every morning. He was a cool guy. I I I remember.
0: In the student activity center, like, working out, like, heavy. Like, if you've never seen him with the shirt off, very powerful build.
1: Mm Mm-hmm. But, but I remember being in that class with you. And I remember one, that you were always asleep. Oh, <laughs> and and two, college. but like I always really appreciated because I'm also this kind of person where you would be like, fully asleep like not conscious not a part of the class in any way and then he would call you out and you would like have an answer ready like you would still be able to like bullshit your way through like an observation on the text of what we're talking about and I admire the hustle
0: it was history if you know history history isn't going to change you just put a perspective on it it's like
1: I've always joked about, like, the only thing AP classes taught me was how to cheat better.
0: Good, good. If you're not cheating, you're not trying.
1: And so, yeah, I, I always appreciated that. You always had a very, um, you can say anything eloquently. Regardless. <laughs> <laughs> like, it could be some, like, utter nonsense. <laughs> and, and you can still make it sound
0: good. That. It's so funny that you say that to me. Um, I've been getting a lot, I guess, of that. I don't really think of myself as eloquent. I just think of myself as verbose. I can, like, describe things in very technical terms so that at the very least, um, if you don't understand, like, so at the very least, if I don't fully answer your question, you know that I've thought about it long enough or... You get tired of listening to me and you tune out. Like that is the. It's <laughs> still have honestly, it's very marketable. <laughs> <laughs> um. All right. Honors. Honors history. Man, I forgot. Man. Okay, that is so wild. All right. So we did theater. Um. We were not. Ne- were we ever in a show together? Were you in um. What was Marcus's six degrees? Were, were you, you were in six Degrees separation? Right?
1: No, I was not in six degrees. Okay. Um, I don't think we did because like I did, I did the last night. I did Eurydice. I did um, Heidi Chronicles. Yes. Yes. Uh, yes. Comedy of Errors.
0: And the were, Thugs. Would, were never yeah, we were never in a show fun. together. We were never in a show together, but uh, senior year was wild.
1: Senior year, we, we played night. it on a whole other level because I so just much, like
0: so took your, your place
1: me. as male purple leader because you were gone I in New York a for a month.
0: I, w- <laughs> I was gone for a week. I had to do it, man. I, I did. <laughs> I, I Listen, if someone were to ask me if I could do it all over again, would I do it again? The answer would still likely be yes.
1: Like I, mean, I didn't
0: to grad school. I didn't get some of the stuff that I thought I got, but it was actually in New York that I, from the Amy Murphy intensive, that I got a scholarship to do another intensive in Philadelphia. And so, like, if I had not gone, I would not have gotten that opportunity. I mean, I'm gonna keep it for, you know, I, I was in New York for four years. Like, I'm in Alabama yeah. now, but I was yeah. in New York for four so a lot of my friends a lot of people from montevallo are in the city Mm -hmm. and i have been trying to check in and see what's happening um most people it seems like that i speak to in our age demo are sheltering like in place or whatever like they're abiding and things um but yeah i mean you are also on the coast and that's one of the things that i've been talking to a lot of people about they're like well how bad do you think it's gonna get and i was like well Nobody lives in middle America, right? Middle America is fields. It's really, really spread out, extremely rural. So like the places that are going to be most impacted are the places that have like uh, densely populated areas. I'm like, so it's going to be the coast. Yeah. Most travel to China or Asia generally, I'm pretty sure you almost all exclusively go out of like LAX or airports on the West Coast because it's easier to go that way.
1: Yeah, I mean, SeaTac for sure has um, international flights to Asia.
0: Yeah, and because in New York, it'll be people who is more likely to be like tourists, right, coming Mm -hmm. globally, or people coming from abroad. But I think it's probably less likely, like, it's not, it wasn't, If I'm no epidemiologist, but in my mind, thinking about like how global travel happens, at least to Asia, it was like, well... You get a flight from New York to LA, from LA to China. Like, I don't know of any flights that leave the East Coast and go straight to Beijing. Um, but I'm sure you could probably work it out going.
1: Well, I mean, you also have to think about um, how much Chinese tourism and Asian tourism is in the US, specifically in places like New York. Oh, I know. So, and
0: not, just, not just in the US, like globally, they are some of the most well traveled oh, sure. like, people. Yeah.
1: Well, I mean, they're one of the biggest economies in, on the planet, yeah, so.
0: <laughs> absolutely. I mean, when I was in New York, I used to see, I used to get Chinese tourists often enough. I won't, I won't say a lot, but often enough, like in the restaurants that I worked in, um, but like, yeah, I, 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 back to our original point was like, you're in the midst of it. Our friends in New York are in the, like the, the, the hot zones for it. It was like, yeah, i like, it's going to be the coast. It's going to be coastal areas with, that are densely populated that are most impacted. I mean, if one person in New York has coronavirus, that means like the I, I, I imagine the death toll to be in the hundreds of thousands. And then, like Dr. Fauci and Dr. Bricks were like, yeah, yeah, we're probably going to see 100 to 200,000 deaths from this.
1: Yeah. Well, and it's not helping that people aren't. Taking it seriously in large droves. So, but yeah, it's like my my boss um, is from Rhode Island originally, and she was saying the other day that well, this was too like a couple of weeks ago that there was one case in Rhode Island, and so people were like, oh, there's only one case in Rhode Island. She was like, well, that man was not alone on top of a mountain with no contact to any other right. people. There's not one case
0: anywhere. We had like 800 cases in Alabama right now. Like it last week in Jefferson County alone, where, you know, Birmingham is, it mm-hmm. was like 196 cases and now it's 800. And so I work in Birmingham. Um, I was lucky enough, more or less, that I was planning to come to Huntsville to visit my parents. So I came to Huntsville and then like the very day I arrived last Monday, they were like, oh, shelter-in-place orders, and there was some talk, I believe, about sending in the National Guard into Jefferson County, so I was like, yes, I live in Huntsville for the time being.
1: Yeah, which, I mean, we have the whole, the National Guard thing has been activated here too, but, like, on a practical level, like, I don't really know what that means for, like, day-to-day purposes, you know what I mean? Like, I, don't, I have not seen that change. Really, even with, which ours is not a shelter-in-place technically. Inslee's, like, holding that as his last kind of trick up his sleeve. Ours is technically a stay-at-home <laughs> order so that he can escalate okay. it again to a shelter-in-place order if he needs. He's basically treating us like we're shitty teenagers, which I honestly kind of appreciate on a level because All he's, like... All the
0: governors are Gavin Newsom and... Andy I mean, Moore. yeah.
1: Well, because initially he was, like, just trying to be nice about it and just, like, tell people to stay home and just hope that they would, which, of course, no one did. Be, you have to understand, too, that winters here are rough. And this has been a particularly rough one because it started really late. And so the weather just got nice. And the sun just came out and everything's just not miserable outside. So (laughs) literally like no one's staying inside. Everyone's outside. Everyone's going hiking, camping and going to the beach and kayaking and like all that good stuff. And so he like warned us, warned us, warned us. If you don't stay home, I'm going to have to like put in more measures. And so now we've got the stay at home order, which I'm imagining like today. Well, I guess today's Monday, today or tomorrow, we'll find out if he's going to escalate it again Mm -hmm. to being a shelter in place, which I honestly, again, I don't even really know what that's going to mean as far as like what's going to change because right now it's only essential workers, but the list of essential workers is like 25 pages long.
0: (laughs) That'll (laughs) probably get, that'll probably get pared down. Like for me in Alabama, um, So I'm an essential worker and like, I, cause this is something I wanted to talk to you about. Like what is, uh, the shelter in place or stay at home order? Like for you as an essential worker, I work for a grocery delivery company. I'm actually like wearing my favorite jacket, which like they they gave us. So I'm keeping the logo out of frame. Um, but so yeah, like I work in the comms team of a grocery delivery service, um, And so I field calls all day about, like, why people aren't able to place orders right now. Like, it's it's really, really complicated. Like, people call in with problems, and we solve the problem. But Mm -hmm. in the face of the coronavirus, like, the call volume and live chat volume has ballooned to insane amounts. Oh, I'm sure. So we're not like, exactly able to get to every interaction and make sure that, like, you know, that everybody's good, like, we have a huge backlog, because there's no way to staff up for an epidemic, you know, like, <laughs> yeah. yeah, so, <laughs> so, like, they are, what I've learned working at this job, because we're, we're national, um, so, I like, field calls from all over, like, the 48 contiguous states in Hawaii, um, is that there are a lot of, like, elderly and disabled or temporarily disabled people um, who can't go to the grocery stores themselves and also who, like, I guess either outlive their family or just don't have very many people in their lives to go and do their grocery shopping for them. So they rely Mm -hmm. on services like ours to, like, get their stuff and basically before... March 12th maybe it was really really easy and then March 13th boom forget about it like everybody like we saw a a large increase in signups, and we like it was it was it was just wild it was the wild west because we would have to like just straight up cancel orders and that that became like inefficient so what ended up happening the solution that was implemented was we kind of just went to active monitoring and managing of delivery window availability. We shortened it from like a week to 24 hours. Um, and that has made things more manageable. Like we still get calls about like why people can't place orders, but we're typically able to give them like a response, which is, you know, like, listen, we're actively monitoring the situation Um, we know that people are frustrated. We're, we're trying to get everybody, everything they need. Um, delivery windows have gone down to 24 hours and like, this is the best time to try to place an order. And like, we will do like, we, we will get it to you. Like, just like bear with us, you know, but I've like, people have cried on the phone, Alex, being so like nervous and worried and upset about, you know, not being able to get their essential products. So what's it like for you as an essential worker?
1: Um, well, I mean, just touching on the grocery thing a little bit because my parents also live here they live like a block away from me um and they're both immunocompromised so mm. they they've been self isolating for weeks now and they use um grocery well they usually do like where you order online and then you just like go pick it up and they just bring it out to your car anyway yeah. and our like our local grocery store has just totally canceled all those services They're not doing delivery and they're not doing pickup anymore, which I imagine is because they just don't have the manpower. That's what, because it's, it's been ridiculous. Like I went, this is, I guess, been like two weeks now to the grocery store. And so I could grocery shop for my parents and for myself um, because I'm doing, I'm out in the world anyway. So I'm doing everything that they need done um, because they can't go out and I got there 30 minutes after they opened at like 6 am. parking lot is full. this is after we've been told like, stay at home, don't go out. but pe- I mean, it's we just got toilet paper back in stores. like I know that's so ridiculous, but I mean people no. were they were having to hire plain clothes security guards at the local Costco because people were just loading up carts and walking out the door with them because there's too many people so you can't watch everyone so people were just walking out with like carts full of groceries and supplies um somebody at my again at my local grocery store came in and this was like when things first started kind of happening um bought all of the isopropyl alcohol in the store all of it like just one person bought every bottle of alcohol that was in the store. Well
0: you you heard about those brothers down the sea who bought all that hand sanitizer mm-hmm. and weren't in the price yep. gouge. So that was so around the twelfth of the thirteenth is when like people started panic buying. Like that is what I because some of the some of the See, things it happened that I would look earlier at, here.
1: It happened that it, makes sense. Yeah. Makes sense. Because it happened I mean, because it literally happened <laughs> earlier here so things are kind of starting to like most stores have limits on how much of stuff you can buy we also couldn't get any meat like fresh meat like chicken breasts or ground beef or anything like there's no meat there was no toilet paper yeah. no cleaning products no alcohol not like no rice no beans like no any of those staples so most, like most of all the stores have you know cut down on like you can only buy like two of any meat product you can only buy one pack of toilet paper so on and so forth so stuff's so kind of getting back to normal on that front just because there was never a scarcity in supply there was only right. like this huge increase in demand um so you know i think people are starting to realize that they have way more groceries than they need <laughs> i mean i think <laughs>
0: I think that certainly my experience with it was like, was like, oh, this is one of the evils of like late stage capitalism. Like people just, and I get it. We haven't had an epidemic like this since Spanish flu, which like was either 1915 or 1918, but. Well, I
1: mean, except like the AIDS epidemic.
0: Oh, oh, that's a, that's a, that's a good point. <laughs> we we did have a very serious yeah. epidemic,
1: but it only yeah. affected like part of society, so no one cared.
0: Part of society, but I don't think like again, and I'm not trying to like mitigate Ronald Reagan's like insane response to the the AIDS epidemic. I just don't think it affected like a lot of people's ability to get basic supplies like this is ha- like this as.
1: Oh, for sure. I mean, this is this is definitely. Um, One thing that I have really seen, and I think a lot of people are with this, is that it's really showing the divisions of class in America. Oh, yeah. Oh, Um, yes. Yeah, like, you know, once the rich white men get hit in their pocketbooks, then things start getting done. Because they're like, oh, I can catch this, so therefore I have to care.
0: Well. Look at just, like, the tone on one of the more interesting um, political policy proposals of a Democratic candidate, Andrew Yang. Like, he was like, yo, universal basic income, and then Mitt Romney was like, yeah, we probably should do UBI. Like, that's how quick stuff changed.
1: Yeah, remember two weeks ago when people were talking about how socialism was evil and now everybody's waiting for that check?
0: (laughs) Everybody, everybody's, and then you, you got the boomers who were talking about getting that Bush check back in the day.
1: Mm-hmm. Like, I what mean, do you think you, that that is?
0: Yeah. <laughs> it's interesting that we're having this conversation because one of the observations I've had about the Sanders campaign in particular is like, my question when this happened was, okay, is this after, after the epidemic, when things are settled down, will this become. Kind of like a case study in the need potentially for universal health care, right? And I read an article, I think it was either in Political or Real Clear Politics, where one author was like, listen, this straight up does not mean that we need um, universal health care. There are countries that have like socialized and nationalized health care, um, and they're also like pretty much like as bad off as the U S and some of that is true. They mostly pointed to Italy. So Italy does have socialized healthcare and like people just, I mean, you know what happened? Like they didn't, they they did not abide the order. So it isn't necessarily like a critique of their healthcare system. I mean, what he's saying is right. If you have a country with capitalistic healthcare or a country with socialized healthcare in the face of this epidemic, like, both systems would be overrun. Absolutely. Um, But I think that beyond, like, Medicare for All, there's a certain, like, suite of policy proposals, like paid family leave and things like that. Uh, And even if a politician uh, wanted to, you know, fold, like, a universal basic income in there, um, like, there's a suite of proposals that probably could have, like, lessened the impact to people's health and the economy, you know?
1: Oh, absolutely. I mean, there's, you know, obviously I'm right outside of Seattle. And so there's a huge industry in a lot of places, but, you know, that one obviously is closest to me of bars and restaurants and music venues and event venues and tours and tourism and all of that. And it's, I mean, it's been really astounding to see how quickly things have gone south um, and like how quickly so many businesses are just, they're shut, they're shut, they're done, they're over. Or in two, like a really, uh, a big restaurant in the Seattle area that is called Kona Kitchen. Both of the owners just died from coronavirus. So that whole franchise is kind of up in the air now. Like what's even going to happen with that? So it, it's been really interesting to see. And then also interesting to see people adapting. Oh, but okay. yeah, I, I just realized I never really even answered your question about what working has been like for me. <laughs> we got off on like a whole other grocery <laughs> tangent. Yeah, um, what's your industry? So I, well, usually I kind of wear like five different job hats. Um, right now, I'm basically just a veterinary assistant, uh, so my, well, my side job, I work at a coffee shop that closed. Mm-hmm. That's been closed for some weeks now. Um, and so my, I t- I'm a small animal massage therapist, a laser technician and a veterinary assistant. So all of my coworkers have all been laid off. Um, except mm-hmm. for me, I'm currently the only employee because she, she, Could only really give a full schedule to one person, and so she wanted everybody else to be able to file for unemployment, and so she just, you know, determined that I was the most essential worker to be there, laid everyone off, off so that they could file for unemployment, And so it's just me and her. So there's only, I work for like one vet. It's not like a hospital where there's a bunch of people. We do um, like rehabilitation and prosthetics and orthotics and um, kind of specialty care like that. And so it's just, it's at her house, her clinics at her house. So she's like, you know, I'm not going anywhere. I'm going to keep seeing people. We have pared down to just being... Um, like emergency and essential care for the most part, but what essential care means has been for the veterinary world is very kind of amorphous in its definition. So basically the guidelines that they've given us are you can, it's considered essential care if not doing the care could potentially have negative effects on the animal's health within the next three months, which... Is like basically everything we do. So like there's an argument to be made for like, or it's like if a dog is injured and it's like well all the dogs we see are injured that's why they're there. So, um, but we are my my boss is being you know judicious as much as and like ethical as much as she can as far as like making calls about what is and is not an essential service, like we've completely, we have a hydrotherapy pool that we've just completely shut down, even though there are some dogs like that is the only therapy that is helpful to them. And so like we have a dog that has a degenerative nervous system disease and hydrotherapy is the only thing kind of keeping her going, but it's, we couldn't justify it as being an essential service for our full schedule. So we just shut the whole pool down. Um, and we're not allowing anyone into the clinic. So it's just me and the doctor. We tell people to come up like, well, I tell people to stay in their cars. It's been about a 60% success rate with people staying in their cars. <laughs> um, we have, I have like at my desk, I have cameras so I can see the parking lot and I'm just like, don't come in here. Don't come in here. I told you not to come in here. And they're coming in here. Cool, cool, cool. And so I have to like run and stop them at the door. But you know, I go out, get the dog, bring the dog in, we do the service, bring the dog out to the car, do payment, and they're on their merry way. Um, it's been difficult. Uh, like I said, I'm the only employer right now. So I worked about 50 hours last week. Um, luckily, we decided to take a three-day weekend because we were both exhausted. <laughs> so I'm not working today. But, you know, I'm doing four people's job uh plus we're also trying to provide a lot of online content because people are at home and so we're we're trying to do our most out videos and social media posts and blogs and youtube videos and do this and that and the other thing plus having to do like telehealth things so we just had two different dogs that needed replacement straps for orthotic braces that they need to walk and they can't neither of them were in a place where they could come to us so we had to just mail them straps and like try and film an instructional video to like talk them through how to do the repair themselves so it's you know i'm very thankful and i want to stress that that i have income that i can pay my bills i'm actually gonna have a very good paycheck this week because i have a lot of overtime oh you're fine
0: French toast? When are you making
1: French toast in the morning.
0: You not all it it has to dry out. You don't make French toast with fresh bread. <laughs> so for the listening uh, public as well as my good friend Alex. Um, so I told you all, like I was in Jefferson County, Alabama, living in Birmingham. Um, and now I'm in Huntsville, which is my hometown. Uh, so one of the reasons that I've had to move several times and have been interrupted twice is that I'm at my parents' house. Um, I had planned like to visit my parents before the outbreak happened. And so I came basically like on my off day, and then the, uh, like, the shelter-at-home ordinances came down locally in Birmingham. And they uh, we've talked about this. They were talking about sending in a guard. So, like, I'm now in Huntsville in my, like, childhood home <laughs> uh, with my little sister, who is also, like, off from work, who also lives in Birmingham, um, and my mom and my dad. And so, like... This is also, I think, essential to the podcast is that some people I know also are, like, in similar situations where, like, they've had to be at home or in very close proximity with their parents. And that's something that I want to get into. Um, But, yeah, people have, like (laughs) – I think it's interesting when four adults who don't live together are suddenly, like, stuck in the same place together. Um, because everybody has, like, their own schedules and routines and preferences. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and so balancing all of that is interesting. Um, Now that that has been said uh, for our listening audience, as well as my good friend Alex Black, um, all right, so we've covered how we met, we've covered college night, which means we've covered the entire world uh, front to back. Uh, Tell me about your makeup-like journey, because You've been putting out content for years and years and years. Like, yes, we haven't spoken, but I've been keeping up. Like, (laughs) I know you love a beat face. So, like, how did you, like, really, really get into that? Because it was kind of after college.
1: Yeah, I did put on some eyebrows for our Skype meeting. I hope you're you're proud of that. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Well, I mean, yeah, I guess I've always just liked makeup. I started more kind of in the, like, special effects, um like theater gore makeup special effects makeup that kind of thing I've always been a big fan of like horror movies and old b movies with practical effects and stuff like that so I guess that's probably where the interest comes from um and then that's just kind of more further I used to work in cosmetics like I sold makeup and did people's makeup um funny enough honestly now I very rarely wear any makeup uh, because I I work on what is ostensibly a farm, and so, like, it doesn't make any sense for me to have a full beat on at work, because no one else is wearing makeup, so, like, I, it's, it's weirder if I do wear makeup, whereas in my employment history up until now, it's the opposite. It's weirder if I don't wear makeup, um, so now I basically just do it for fun, like when I have, I only wear makeup when I have the time and energy and products to do what I want to do. Mm-hmm. If that makes sense, like if I'm, I'm not putting on a face to like just go out to the grocery store because I don't care that much about it. I actually have, this is my, my dining room table is also like my makeup table, so all my stuff is kind of pushed <laughs> over to the side right here. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, it's. I do what I do when I can do it. I, I have mostly just a couple. I have a couple little like makeup groups that I'm a part of. And like we post pictures to each other. But for the most part, that's it at this point. I'm not taking it too, too seriously because I got the dogs to take care of. They take up all my time.
0: And what's your uh, this might be the last question. What is your favorite uh, coffee preparation? Because I know Ooh. you work. Yeah. 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 Let's do um, some coffee like what, snobbery. My
1: my favorite coffee preparation or my favorite coffee drink.
0: So so my favorite coffee preparation that I drink is like I prefer to have pour over coffee, typically Ethiopian beans.
1: Okay, fair. Um, I like pour over. I never drink it because it takes too long, and I'm. In heat. <laughs> I have access to an espresso machine, so I can just like walk in and make myself espresso at any time. So that's probably there. I like a good, I like tiny drinks because I like drinks where you can taste the coffee. Um, So like a Cortado is my jam, a Cubano is my jam. Put them together, that's even better. Uh, I'm also a big, just like drip coffee, just like regular old black as night like (laughs) oil tar level drip coffee industrial strength um so there's my coffee snobbery as i like the the dark we at the shop i work at we use the same beans for our espresso as our drip coffee so it's Mm -hmm. like very like dark thick strong (laughs) drip coffee so i can't I can't uh, drink foo-foo coffee anymore. My taste buds I,
0: are destroyed. I, I get that. I mean, I worked for, well, actually, I kind of got into coffee in Birmingham after I graduated, and I would go to Octane, and they would introduce <laughs> me to Octane's stuff. good, yeah. Yeah, and then I went to New York, and one of my first jobs was working at Starbucks, But throughout all of that, the two things – Starbucks traumatized me for coffee and Starbucks for a while. Like, there was probably three years that I could not enter a Starbucks because I would, like, just have flashbacks. Um, And so (laughs) –
1: I will say Starbucks is good for what it is, which is fast food, coffee. Yeah. Like – if I need a drive through well, I guess here there's drive through coffee everywhere, but elsewhere in the country, if you need to, if you just need some coffee real quick, Starbucks has your drive through you know exactly what it's going to taste like, it's going to taste the same everywhere in the country that you go, for the most part. I was shocked, though, to learn that my friends who worked at Starbucks didn't actually know how to use an espresso machine.
0: I didn't realize it's
1: all, it's all, it's all just buttons.
0: Like, you just press so a button. With- when I was working at Starbucks in New York, and it may still be this way because, you know, they always update their equipment, but yeah. we were still foaming the milk. Like, I know how to pull stuff, and I know how to measure and tamp and do all that. Oh, okay. Maybe.
1: Well, and then, too, you know, obviously where I'm living, it's I'm, like, right by the Starbucks headquarters. So I don't know if they, like, rolled the automated machines out sooner, but this was, like, several years ago now, and a friend of mine who had worked at Starbucks for years and years we were having like an after hours party at the coffee shop and he asked like if he could make himself a drink and we're like yeah sure man you're a barista like you know what you're doing go ahead and he was like oh no like i don't we don't have this like their grinder was like made into the machine and so they literally just like pushed a button and it pulled the shot out
0: so the so so the grinder and the shot is automated yes it was automated when i was there yeah but then like having to froth the milk and all of that stuff like we, we did yeah. actually have to do that stuff and learn how to the poor cappuccino versus a latte versus a macchiato and all that stuff um but you know i kind of so i mean i i've learned how to do the other stuff um, as time has gone on but um but yeah i i mean i don't again i don't know what it's like behind the counter these days
1: I, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I will say for the most part, everybody I've known that has ever worked at a Starbucks doesn't have anything super horrible to say about them as a company? it's
0: a, It's a good company. And one of the things that I was bringing up when I was talking about like how I got into coffee is that I now, because of my experience working in coffee um, to a degree and like seeing my parents like have like nicotine headaches, not nicotine, caffeine headaches, if like they don't have their money cup, I typically only drink coffee on my off days, which is probably why I like pour over. Like, I only drink coffee if I have time for it. If I don't have time for it, I'm usually drinking, like, Earl Grey.
1: Kind of like with me with makeup. Yeah, makes sense. I, well, I don't, I really don't drink very much makeup when I'm work, or drink very much makeup, drink very much (laughs) coffee when I'm working, because it's like, you make yourself a drink, you maybe get one sip of it. And then eighteen <laughs> people come in the door, and then, like by the time you get back to that coffee, it's ice cold. Yeah. So I think that's partially too probably why I've moved to like tiny drinks, like just an espresso or just
0: like a macchiato or whatever, like because you can just
1: just knock it back real fast.
0: All right. well, Alex Black, is there anything else that America or the world needs to know before this conversation comes to a close?
1: stay home
0: because
1: Mm. here's why obviously for social distancing, whatever, whatever, but also for people like me who are essential workers out in the world that like cannot work from home. um, It's stressing me the fuck out (laughs) because I don't have (laughs) health insurance. And so like, if I get sick, guess I'm just taking Tylenol and hoping for the best, you know what I mean? So Mm. It's, it's really, it's been very frustrating to me when I have had to like be out going to work and things like that. And there's still just people everywhere yeah. Um, yeah. or like I have to go drop something off in the mail or go to the bank and it's in the grocery store, grocery store, or parking lot. And there's just like nothing but a sea of 80 year olds standing right next to each other. And so uh, if people could just not do that, that would be very nice.
0: That- yeah, we might have to have a follow up call just to talk about our experience navigating, like sometimes having and not having health insurance, because that again is I feel like it's a it's a national issue. Um, again, I think it's policies that was were enacted by baby boomers more or less that like are the reason for it. Um, but like it's such a odd thing that if you change a job, you like lose your coverage. Or have mm. to wait until you get new coverage like it's, it's 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 all very ridiculous um but i will i'll get in touch with you about a follow-up call so good this was alex black everyone and our message to everyone is stay at home yes all right later Bye. bye